1: Yeah, so he was. Um, we do have a sh- we have a store uh, in the in the city, and he was he was headed to the store, and he was stopped by a member of the Taliban, and they looked as they searched his phone, and they didn't find anything, and they uh, one brother told him not to look at our family pictures, and he's like, "Shut up," and uh, and he came home terrified. Like I said, there's no accountability. No matter what these guys do, nobody's going to know about it. So uh, I hope the world is watching, and I hope somebody's going to— somebody's listening to what uh, what we're saying.
0: The chaotic withdrawal of U.S. troops in Afghanistan has upended the lives of millions as the Taliban takes full control. Many are fearful of Taliban rule because of their barbaric behavior and disregard for women and children. Afghans and civilians who helped the United States during the invasion of the country after the September 11th terrorist attacks, working as interpreters, drivers, and in other capacities, are fearful they will be viewed as traitors and killed. We've seen horrific images come out of Kabul, where thousands are desperate to evacuate the country. Some scaled the sides of an American airplane taking off, falling to their deaths. Others ran alongside the plane as it prepared for takeoff. Evacuation flights for U.S. citizens and Afghan refugees are underway at this very moment. Many are fearful that not all of their family and friends will be able to flee, particularly those who cooperated with the United States. President Joe Biden, meanwhile, is facing intense criticism from both sides of the aisle for the hasty withdrawal. He stands by his decision to exit the war-torn nation. I know my decision will be criticized. But I would rather take all that criticism and pass this decision on to another president of the United States, yet another one, a fifth one, because it's the right one, it's the right decision for our people. Welcome to The Gaggle, an Arizona politics podcast. I'm your host, Yvonne Winget Sanchez. I cover national politics for the Arizona Republic. In today's episode, we're speaking with Aaron Marquez, a U.S. Army veteran who spent two tours in Afghanistan. We're also speaking to an Afghan refugee who served as Aaron's interpreter. We are not using his real name for security reasons. We will refer to him as Alex. Alex is a 28-year-old who has spent some time here in Arizona. He left Afghanistan years ago and moved here to go to school.
1: I started off at Phoenix College. And then uh, I went to ASU, and thanks to Aaron, he was able to help me get his scholarships. And uh, there's been times where I had to I had to work and send money home, but Aaron encouraged me to stay in school and get that degree.
0: He moved to the East Coast several weeks ago. His family, though, is still in Afghanistan. Like so many other Afghans, he is desperately trying to get his family out of the country. He's talking to them as often as he can through Internet calls. But he's fearful the Taliban will soon cut off their internet connection. Years ago, Aaron and Alex spent time traversing Afghanistan in their official capacities. They helped rebuild parts of the nation, and they tried to strengthen relationships between local officials and U.S. officials. Aaron then helped Alex build a life in Arizona. Now, the two are fighting a different battle. They're fighting to evacuate Alex's family. Thank you, gentlemen, for coming onto the show. Can you each give us a sense of how you came to know each other?
2: Uh, Well, I first deployed to Afghanistan in the spring of 2012 um, as a first lieutenant uh, in the United States Army Reserve. And when I first arrived in Afghanistan, I ended up at uh, a base in northern Afghanistan, Camp Northern Lights. Uh, which was a coalition-led base by our Swedish and Finnish uh, ISAF uh, NATO partners. Um, And when I arrived at that base as a civil affairs team leader, uh, there was a pool of interpreters that I could work with on every mission. Uh, But my job as a civil affairs team leader was really to work on reconstruction projects, but also work on reconstruction projects uh, that made a political difference in the communities in northern Afghanistan And for me, it was important that I wasn't uh, rotating between uh, multiple interpreters on uh, every mission, uh, but to really develop a strong relationship with one interpreter that would know my goals, but also uh, be able to develop strong relationships with the Afghan political leaders that we were working with. Uh, And Alex became that interpreter that I worked with uh, to develop strong relationships with the district governors in Afghanistan, the provincial governor uh, of his hometown in Masary Sharif, uh, and also the um, all of the NGO political community leaders that we're also working with as well in
0: Afghanistan. And Alex, how did you come to work as an interpreter?
1: Uh, so when I graduated from high school, uh, I was about 12, 18 years old and uh, I was about to go to college. But I feel like I had a sense there was a sense of responsibility. I feel like there was thousands of American troops and NATO coalition forces in Afghanistan that were here to help us rebuild our country so I feel like I was, I feel like I was, I wanted to be part of the cost and part of the team that built the country. So that's why I decided to join the military as a translator and so that I could help them facilitate and build a strong relationship with people. And uh, yeah, that's what I believe. What well, That's what I believed. And uh, that's why I decided to join in.
0: I'd imagine there would have to be an extraordinary level of trust between the two of you during um, such an intense environment, dangerous environment. What was that like working together? How many years did you work alongside each other? And give us an example of what like a typical day would look like if you could call anything typical.
1: Right. Well, I met Aaron in 2012, like you mentioned, but I was working as a translator since 2010. So I started first with the Swedes. I worked with the Swedes for about two years. And then when I met Aaron, uh, I started working with Americans for another two years. So in general, I worked for about four years. Uh, a Typical day with Aaron and his team, it was more like the thing that I really liked. It was more like building a strong relationship with people, winning the hearts and minds of the people. Like going to the villages and I asking the villagers what do we need, and they would say that well, we don't want anything from the Americans. We want to build a school so that we can send our kids to the school. And verse, and that's what it was. It was most like most of the time it was just calling the district governors and trying to see what, how we could help them to maintain peace and also like help them build infrastructure in their villages.
0: So you spent so much time trying to build that peace. Can you give us a sense, Alex, of what? It is like for you to watch the american drawdown in afghanistan and the government falling to the taliban
1: yeah i mean uh i knew the americans were going to eventually leave i know the americans were not going to be there forever and so uh, i think the americans did what they were supposed to do to train equip and advise afghan security forces so they could defend uh their country Uh, and then i feel like over the past 20 years we've spent trillions of dollars and a lot of American lives have been lost. And thousands of hundreds of thousands of Afghans have been killed in pursuit of peace. Uh, but I think it was uh, it was a weak leadership by the Afghan government, especially by the president and his cabinet. Uh, they didn't coordinate the whole situation uh, and uh, it's, it's just a country fell apart. I feel like the Afghan security forces, which were far more stronger than the Taliban, there was more We had over three hundred thousand fully trained and equipped Afghan security forces, and the fact that we have lost the whole country in two in two weeks, at certain points we without being without a single shot being fired. I think it's a it's a betrayal to the Afghan and to the Americans. I think the Afghan government had responsibility to do whatever it can to to protect the country, and uh, but I think they just failed.
0: Aaron, what about for you? What's it been like watching this unfold?
2: It's, um, it's, it's a lot of mixes of emotions. Um, and you know, there's, uh, there's sadness and there's frustration, and there's anger. Um, you know, for me, I, I graduated high school in 2001, um, went to college, uh, first semester at the university of Arizona and, and 9-11 happened. Um, so I feel like, you know, for my entire adult life, uh Afghanistan and 9-11 have somewhat intertwined uh with most of the major uh decisions that I've made in my life. And um when I joined the army in 2009, uh, you know, we'd already spent quite a bit of time fighting in Iraq and uh President Obama uh was just elected. Um and there was a surge in Afghanistan, and I, you know, deployed in 2012 as part of that surge. Um so I, th- I think, you know, when I went to Afghanistan in 2012 and when I was able to work with Alex uh, on so many reconstruction projects for children and women's centers and, and projects for girls, uh, jobs for women to, to work in wool processing centers and make rugs in Afghanistan uh, and export those rugs to to global markets, I had a lot of hope for the country and, and had a lot of hope that the work that we were doing there would make a long term difference for that part of the world. Um I went back to Afghanistan in 2016 and 2017 uh, on a different mission, working in intelligence. And by that time, um, you know, I saw the end of the Obama administration and the very beginning of the Trump administration when I deployed between 2016 and 2017. And our our mission had changed quite a bit by then. Uh, It was very much a counterterrorism focused mission. There was not the, the same work we were doing on reconstruction projects that I was able to do with Alex. And I very much became disillusioned at that point. And, um, during the last few years, I, I've known that uh, we would not stay in Afghanistan forever, uh, but I, I did maintain some hope that uh, some of our gains would, would last uh, you know, much longer than they've lasted and certainly have crumbled so far uh, in the last uh, few weeks as we've seen the, the regime change.
0: Alex, you... After leaving Afghanistan, spent time here in Arizona, going to school at Phoenix Community College. You um, are now back east, um, and you're trying to stay connected with your family in Afghanistan. Can you talk with us a little bit about your family situation there?
1: Yeah, I've been in contact with them ever since the country has fallen, and they've been prior to that. But I feel like now the internet connection is going a little weaker, so I'm trying to still maintain uh, contact with them. From what it looks like, and, and and every other family in Afghanistan right now is terrified. Uh, we don't know ta- when Taliban were back in Afghanistan in the 1900s and early 2000s. They were one of the most brutal and barbaric regimes that uh, that was ever we have seen. and I was a little kid when they were there, so now I feel terrified for my brothers. They have never seen a Taliban before, so like for the first time, they're gonna wake up and they're gonna see Taliban. So that's why they've been scared to even go outside. So they don't know how it's gonna look like. And for my, I have two sisters that are younger than me, and one of them works as an attorney, where she's not gonna be able to go to work, go back to work. And whereas my other sister was going to the university as a freshman; she's not gonna be able to continue to go to pursue her education. So I feel terrified. I feel like my involvement with Americans are gonna it's gonna jeopardize my family's life. And uh, I'm doing everything I can in my power. And I know Aaron is helping me as well, and this and my other uh, friends. Uh, to get them to out of Afghanistan, either to the U.S. or any other countries in the region where they're safe.
0: How are you staying in contact with them? Is it internet calls? Is it some other method?
1: It's uh, usually two internet calls. Uh, they have very limited access to the internet now, uh, but we're still able to maintain minimal contact. Uh, and uh, Just stay in touch for the time being.
0: And... What are you seeing and hearing um, during those during those phone calls i I could imagine that they are very emotional. You have to wake up during certain hours to be able to talk to each other, try to get through whenever you can i mean what what are those like?
1: It sounds fear. that's what it sounds like every time I talk to them they They're afraid to say anything about them. They feel like they might be listening and uh, they don't say. They just want to get out at this point. They're like, we're not going to be able to live under this regime, and we don't know how it's going to look like. So they're all saying that we need to get out. We need to get out immediately. So, I mean, I do feel the pressure, and I want to help them to come out, but I feel helpless uh, in a time like this where I can't go there myself, where I can't do—I don't have anything in my—I don't have any resources to help them.
0: What happens to them if they can't evacuate?
1: I don't know. I think it's scary for me to think that they're going to stay there. So my hope is that I'm going to be, they're going to be able to evacuate them uh, as quickly as possible.
0: Can you guys both sort of take us through the steps, the lengths you are taking to try to get them out of the country? Who are you calling? Um, you know, sort of give us a sense of what the, the past couple of weeks and days have been like as, as, you're, as you're trying to help them.
1: I can give you an example of how I came to the U.S. Uh, for me, particularly, it took me about three, three and a half years to come here. Uh, back in 2000, I started, I started my application to move to the U.S. through a special immigrant visa back in 2012, and it, I came here in 2015. Uh, but in 2016, I was able, to, I was granted a political asylum to move to Sweden. So even in Sweden, it took I was still in the process to come to the U.S. Uh, but for now, especially now that things have gone and the embassies temporarily closed, and they're operating out of the Kabul International Airport, it just seems like uh, they're not doing any interviews. Uh, they're just like uh, bringing people in who have worked with the U.S. and putting them in a plane and bringing them to the U.S. Uh, but me, and particularly me, I don't really know a lot of people. Aaron was able to connect me to some people within the the government, and and you know some of the government officials have been trying to like. Uh, pressure the government so that we could impact with the civilians uh, as quickly as we can. Uh, but I've, we are pretty much knocking every door to to make sure that we get them out to the safety.
0: I presume that when you were working as an interpreter and you were working alongside American forces, including Aaron, you assumed some risk, right? You assumed that things could go bad in some way at any time. Did you think that you and your family, by extension, would be assuming this kind of risk?
1: No. Um, when I took the job, I knew there's going to be a risk. I mean, uh, there's times we go to the missions and it's not safe. And, uh, it's, it's, we're in a war zone situation. And, uh, but I didn't, really, I, didn't, I didn't realize that it's going to be this bad. If I had known that the country would have fallen to the Taliban, where my family would have been in danger, I probably would have a second thought about it. Uh, but I'm proud of the work that I did, regardless of whatever happens. I feel like we we have come far, and over the past 20 years, we have achieved significantly. And uh, so we built somehow a democracy where women were able to go to school, where my sisters were able to work. So I'm proud of the work that we did. Uh,
2: but but I don't know how the future is going to look like. I I just wanted to add something on, uh, you know, the work we're doing now with his family. Um, You know, there's thousands of interpreters that are still stuck in Afghanistan. You know, is unmarried. Uh, So if you're married, you can bring your your wife uh, or your spouse and your children. Um, But Alex has, uh, you know, a mom and a dad and, and many siblings that are stuck in Afghanistan. Uh, He's met all of the requirements uh, to become uh, a U.S. citizen. Um, But because of the backlog during the last four years, uh, his citizenship application has not been processed. And really without uh, processing his citizenship, uh, his family is stuck uh, without any uh, access to resettlement or visas uh, until he becomes a U.S. citizen.
0: Are you working with members of Congress to try to get his case prioritized in some sort of way?
2: You know, to be honest, the last, uh, you know, since he graduated from ASU uh, and the last year we've been waiting for citizenship and, you know, uh, last October was his five-year anniversary in the country. And, um, you know, we felt like, you know, it was stable enough to wait until, you know, his one-year anniversary. I think there's, you know, we've shared some hope and, He's had some recent interviews uh, with uh, immigration, uh, but I think you're still waiting on sort of your final interview and the final test. Um, But I certainly the last two weeks, I think, you know, contacting the members of Congress's office uh, here in Arizona will be uh, a big priority for me.
0: Were each of you surprised by how quickly the country fell? To the Taliban, or did it really sort of come as no surprise to you, given your knowledge and experience with the country?
1: No, I—I I mean, I think the whole world is surprised. Everybody in the in Afghanistan is surprised because I feel like we, over the past twenty years, we built one a very strong military uh, with the support of the U.S. and its allies, and uh, we built. We have had some, we have had the national security forces as well as the special forces, and we have had fighter jets, and we have all types of uh, weapons and ammunitions that we needed to fight the Taliban. Uh, yeah, it surprised me. I feel like there has been uh, some, some, type of, some type of deal between the government and the Taliban. Uh, in some cases, they've just given up provincial provinces without a, without, without a fight. So I think maybe there was new enthusiasm to fight, or they were just... Uh, so a lot of people believe that the Afghan president who have fled the country since the country has fallen, that he was involved, uh, and he had made a secret deal with the Taliban to hand over the country. So I think the Afghan people have been sacrificed of this political game.
0: What about you, Aaron?
2: Yeah, I I would say all estimates, uh, you know, in the defense community, intelligence communities would suggest that Afghanistan um, would fall eventually to the Taliban. but I, I don't think anybody predicted that it would fall this quickly. Uh, I think, you know, there's, you know, I hope there's a, a, an investigation and some accountability of, of how we, um, you know, looked at you know, this drawdown and, and uh, redeploying our troops and our civilian staff within Afghanistan. Uh, but I think really right now, the, the focus uh, is on the humanitarian mission of, of getting everybody out of Afghanistan as quickly as possible. Uh, those that are in Kabul and, those like Alex's family uh, that are still not eligible um, for any of our resettlement programs, expanding our, our refugee assistance program is, is really a top priority.
0: Alex, you said that you don't know the future. Obviously, nobody does. I mean, what are you thinking about the future of your country um, as you are watching these horrific and just heart-wrenching images play across, I'm sure, your TV screen, your phone, and as you're trying to stay connected to your, to your family?
1: Uh, I mean, it's a tough question. I mean, uh, we don't know how the Taliban is. Obviously, they're telling people that we have changed, that we're going to let women go back to work, and we're, gonna, and we're more progressive now than we used to be. But I don't think their ideology and their, uh, their vision is the same. And they're the same barbaric group that have bombed a schoolgirl two months ago uh, in Kabul, where they killed 200 schoolgirls, uh, and they have taken responsibility for it. So they're the same group who have killed so many journalists, and they have the same group who have killed a bunch of translators who have worked with the U.S. Uh, forces. Have, they've killed a lot of Afghan security forces. So I think the f- I see the future as dark, and I feel like uh, now they, they're not going to allow any of the human rights... Uh, Employees to work there, so they're going to commit all types of crimes where nobody's going to be documenting it and, and there's going to be no accountability. So, I, I feel bad for the people that are stuck there. So, I just hope that the international community, particularly the U.S., uh, decides to help the Afghan people. Otherwise, it's just going to be a humanitarian disaster. And uh, as we're speaking right now, there's thousands of people that want to flee the country not just by Kabul airport. They just want to go to Iran and make their way all the way to Europe. So, uh, and a lot of people like me, a lot of young people, they don't see a future in that and they don't want to live under a Taliban regime, uh, where they were told to, to worship a particular God or, or to when to pray. And, you know.
0: Final question. Um, This one is is for you, Aaron. Next month is the 20th anniversary of the September 11th terrorist attacks. They obviously are meaningful um, to a lot of us um, and you. Can you give us a sense of how you viewed the American occupation that followed those attacks and how you feel now that the US is leaving?
2: You know, these last 20 years, you know, our country has made a lot of sacrifices overseas and uh you know young men and women uh you know have decided to join our military forces uh i think that was a big motivation for me to join the military was you know feeling like this particular fight was a generational fight whether i politically agreed with us being there or not um you know when i uh i first you know looked at joining the army while i was still in college and i was looking For a way to pay for school before 9-11 happened and then after college uh you know i looked at joining or during college when 9-11 happened i looked at joining the the military again and instead found uh the americorps program uh so spent two years in americorps because president bush called on americans to serve our country at home too uh so i spent two years with an americorps program before going back to college and then when i graduated from college uh it was still something that i felt like i needed to do because I had seen so many people that I had gone to high school with that had deployed to Iraq or Afghanistan. And I felt like, you know, I would feel guilty if I didn't say I did my part. Um, I thought I would join, uh, for one deployment to Afghanistan. And, um, you know, 11 years later, I'm, uh, I'm still an army reservist and I deployed twice to twice to Afghanistan. So, um, I think, I think the, the soldiers uh, and service members that deployed to Afghanistan can be proud of the work that we did to um, improve quality of life in so many communities across Afghanistan. And uh, I hope that the you know some of the ideas that were brought uh, to the people of Afghanistan and the women and girls, the, the, the opportunities that they experienced during those 20 years will continue to flourish and they'll find ways to flourish in spite of uh, the Taliban rule uh, within the country today. You know, the American people have forgot that we have been sending troops to Afghanistan a long time ago. Uh, the American public, uh, needs to know that we've made the sacrifice and that we, you know, have a commitment to our Afghan partners. Um, so I hope that every American and every Arizonan will call their member of Congress and, you know, ask our, our country to do more during this, uh, very critical time for the people of Afghanistan.
0: Well, Alex and Aaron, thank you so much for your service, and thank you very much for joining us today.
2: Thanks so much for Paul. Thank you for having us.
0: That's it for today, Gaggle listeners. You can follow our reporting on this subject and others on azcentral.com. Today's episode was edited and produced by Maritza Dominguez with oversight from Manny Lozano. Thanks so much for listening to The Gaggle, a podcast for the Arizona Republic and azcentral.com.